0: this is a Yokogawa australia and new zealand podcast welcome back to Yokogawa debunks conversations with industry experts to uncover the truth behind myths and misconceptions surrounding the industrial automation and industrial instrumentation space i'm your host sean carhill and thank you for joining us today now, today we welcome Nick Crowe, Product Manager for Analyzers at Yokogawa Australia and New Zealand. Our regular listeners may remember that Nick joined us on Season 1 of Yokogawa Debunks to discuss some of the misconceptions around liquid analyzers. Now, as a follow up to that discussion, and through several requests we've received through our debunks at au.yokogawa.com contact address, today we're going to be tackling the question of calibrate or validate. Which is better? So without further ado, welcome again, Nick.
1: Thanks, Sean. Uh, thanks for having me back. And it, it's nice to know that our previous subject was of interest to listeners. And, um, yeah, we've uh, managed to expand on that with uh, another uh, great debate.
0: And look, you know, we get um, multiple questions from our listeners. But, you know, this one that we're, we're addressing today seems to be a particular favourite around the calibrate or validate um, area. So, so look, let, let's dive straight into the, uh, into the first question that we've received on this topic. Now it may seem like a bit of an obvious one, but what is the difference between calibration and validation?
1: I suppose to some of us it seems obvious, but to others it doesn't you know? and it's a question that we we regularly get asked here at Yokogawa. yeah, what's the difference between the two? Uh, well I'll try and sum it up quite simply here. A calibration is something that we would perform uh, if we want to ensure that our instrument is is accurate and that can be an analyzer or, or any any instrument really and when we do that calibration the process is we uh, compare the instrument to a standard of a known value and if it's not correct we can adjust the instrument to match and you might do this at various points through the instrument's range to ensure you've got accuracy uh, in the instrument right from your 4 to 20 milliamp range. A validation on the other hand is a check that you might do just to determine if your instrument is working uh, and in functioning as uh, as it's intended, and in there you might have your instrument in the process, and you'll you'll flood that instrument with a, uh, or if it's an analyzer, you'll flood that analyzer with a a standard or, or something of a of a known value, and you want to check that your instrument responds, that it can see that value, and that it functions as intended, and it doesn't usually involve any inju- adjustment of the instrument. You're just purely um, trying to see if the image instrument actually responds to a change. It's, it's pretty brief, but uh, I hope it gives a, a good starting point for our conversation today.
0: It, it, it does, but I, I guess based upon that assessment, I mean, which one would you say is the best to perform?
1: Well, and, and that's, I think, really what drives the question that people ask us. Um, what should I be doing? Should I be calibrating or validate? Well, they're both very useful, but they both serve a, a different purpose. And you'd use them both at different times and and in different applications as well. So a validation is something you you use to determine if your instrument is functioning as as intended. Uh, So you might do a validation, uh, and the result of that would perhaps determine if you need to progress onto a calibration. So you might use it only uh, to determine if one is required. And the the advantage of validation is it can often be performed online with almost no disruption to your instrument and your normal measurement. And really, it's just a really very useful tool to prove that your instrument's working. Calibrations, on the other hand, you would use these uh, to ensure the accuracy of your instrument. So it might make up part of a a standard operating procedure where perhaps scheduled calibrations are dictated, maybe in the water industry, for example. Different people have different frequencies, maybe weekly calibration. Some have monthly calibrations and so on. Or you might use it in an industry where it's critical that you have proof of your product. Uh, Industries such as uh, food and beverage or pharmaceutical, where you have to show that your your product was produced within a a tolerable range. But on the other hand, maybe you're working in an organisation that has to report emissions uh, to the environmental authorities. In those kinds of applications, you're going to be required to provide frequent evidence that your measurement is correct. So you're going to have to do calibrations there uh, on a frequent basis. So, yeah, validations, if you don't have to have any of those criteria, you could use a validation and then use it to determine, like I say, if you need to do a calibration. But, yeah, there's other applications and in industries where a calibration will be critical and important to do.
0: So you mentioned there the, um, the use of standards for performing a calibration. Um... But if I was looking to do a simple validation, uh, do I need to use a standard or could I just use, for example, demineralised water or even tap water? Uh,
1: yeah, I suppose that's one of the advantages of validation. Yeah. In some uh, situations, you might be able to get away with, with using tap water or potable water or something. Uh, and you can use it just to do a sanity check on your instrument. So if we considered perhaps the chemical industry, for example, and a pH analyzer it's quite likely that the process that your pH sensor is measuring is going to be far away from the value of tap water. So we know that you know, tap water is likely to be somewhere between 6.5 and 7.5 pH. Maybe your process is operating at around pH 3 or perhaps right up at pH 9 or 10 or something like that. If you were to use tap water there and your analyzer responded to approximately pH 7, then you know that your analyzer is working and responding reasonably well what you've done there is validated that your analyzer is okay. You wouldn't be able to be sure of the accuracy of it, but you know that it's functional. And then if you have any concerns over the accuracy, perhaps um, you could use a a known standard for your validation or, again, progress onto that, doing a full calibration. Okay, so both procedures are best performed with some sort of
0: known standard. Um, But but surely this will require the, uh, the technician to retract the sensor from the process. Or take it out of the process and do the check uh, right next to the process or even take it to a lab. But is there any way of doing these checks, validations and calibrations in situ uh, so that in the process where perhaps I don't want to remove the sensor because of safety concerns or any other reason that I'm pretty safe?
1: Well, it's actually, that's actually a very good question and a valid point that you make there. It's not always uh, practical to be able to remove your sensor from the process. I suppose with a lot of the liquid analyzer measurements as we discussed in our last episodes we try and encourage people to design their installation in such a way that they can remove their sensor from the process but there's always going to be occasions where that hasn't been able to be achieved so perhaps we have to try and think of something a little bit more creative to do a validation there and in those examples we might consider using the washing function on an analyzer We can turn on our uh, washing function, and it's going to cause a deflection in the measured values. After the washing cycle is finished, the analyzer should return to that previous process value. And then, again, what we've done is validated that the analyzer is working. Some analyzers will have uh, built-in diagnostics, and they'll give you some advice on the result and give you uh, a pass or fail or, or some kind of warning messages if there is no response and if it doesn't return to its previous value or close to its previous value. Yeah, in those situations where you really can't pull your sensor out of the process, we can do things like that. And then, uh, you know, with gas analyzers, it, it's uh, perhaps even less easy to pull your, your sensor out of the process. So gas analyzers are slightly different. Yeah, often they are installed on an extractive analyzer system, in which case you can isolate the, the measurement sensor and do a calibration or validation there. But others still are, are installed directly into the process. So for these, what we have to do is we have to flood an area of the gas measurement with a known standard. Uh, and again, we monitor to see that we've caused a deflection. Uh, and is the deflection as we expected it to be? Is the analyzer responding correctly? Uh, and we can validate that way. So if we used a, a very common gas analyzer measurement, it is oxygen and combustion control. So we're probably going to be measuring uh, oxygen at around 4 or 5%. So really, you you could just use um, instrument air or ambient air as your check gas uh, because we know it's got 21% or approximately 21% O2 contained within. So we flood the tip of the sensor with ambient air and we expect to see the analyzer respond appropriately. And assuming it does, we've validated our measurement and we don't need to remove the sensor from the hot gas and we can carry on about our business. Okay, that makes sense, yeah.
0: You know, one other thing, look, we, we've previously spoken about liquid analyzers, as you were talking about a moment ago, but let's say, for example, with a, a new pH probe, does that come with a calibration curve already from the factory?
1: It does come with a, a calibration curve, or, or a slope as we might refer to it, when it's left manufacturing, but you're still required to do a calibration when you pair it with its converter. So the manufacturing guys are going to build the sensor to within a, an acceptable tolerance. How, however, as I say, when, when it arrives on site, the converter doesn't know the, the in-depth details of that sensor. So when you pair it with the converter, you still have to go through a, a calibration procedure. And that's when we go into the, the analyzer, and we have to do a full two-point calibration. And that way we can lock into the converter the exact output details of that sensor its zero point and its slope, its speed of response, all those kind of things. In more recent years, we've seen uh, people starting to take up the digital sensors that come onto the market. And some of these do come with factory calibrations and they don't re- require that traditional pairing with the converter. All you have to do is, is set up the, the sensor address on, on occasions and the sensor itself stores all that um, zero slope and, and response information and really the the converter almost becomes just an hmi or or just a 4 to 20 milliamp output from that sensor it certainly simplifies the process definitely um, now this next one might
0: seem like a bit of a silly question but if you calibrate them does it mean that if there's drift in the response you can somehow correct it yeah i mean it's
1: not a silly question at all the calibration is the correction so a calibration doesn't last forever. Uh, And I think we've spoken before, you know, process analyzers generally have their measuring element in contact with the process. And uh, the process, therefore, has an influence over the the characteristics of that sensor. So we can do a calibration, and that analyzer will be correct at that point in time. And we put it back into the process, and then the process starts to have its influence and the more harsh that process is, usually the quicker it's going to cause that sensor to change its characteristics. And really that's what causes the drift. So periodically we, for, to maintain accuracy, we still have to go through and do the two-point calibration and we can correct that drift anywhere within the range. We can also, you know, if we don't have time to do the two-point calibration, we can do a single-point calibration. However, it's not quite as good when you do a single-point calibration. All you're really doing is correcting the zero point. When you expand to do the second calibration point, that's when you uh, count for the the slope or the curve uh, of the output of the sensor as well.
0: So, Nick, now one of the things that we mentioned uh, a few times um, during the discussion is standards for calibration. Standards themselves,
1: where do they come from, and and how would you know which one to use? That's actually... um, quite an in-depth subject all in itself, Uh, so I'll try and keep it um, brief here as I can. Uh, And again, really, it will differ depending on the type of analyzer that you're going to use and the reporting requirement that you have, and again, whether or not you're going to be performing validations or or calibrations. So we'll we'll go back to using the, the humble pH analyzer as the example again. And for the calibration of these, we use what's called a buffer. Uh, and if we consider a gas analyzer, then we use a, a standard um, or a standard gas. So, you know, some people might want to know what's the difference between a, a standard and a buffer? Well, a buffer is a chemical solution uh, and it's been designed to have the capacity to absorb uh, a small amount of change without affecting its actual value. Whereas a standard or a standard gas for a gas analyzer is a solution with an, an exact predetermined value. And it can't withstand any contamination uh, or dilution without changing its value. So really, that, that's a, a brief description of the difference between the two there. Yeah, there's
0: definitely a lot to, uh, to, to look into there with the, uh, the difference between the standards and buffers. So. But look, unfortunately, we've actually run out of time today. and We've managed to smash quite a few misconceptions around calibration and, and validation. But it's also clear to me there's so much more to this topic that we haven't yet touched on. So, Nick, um, we'd love to invite you back for a continuation of this discussion.
1: Yeah, I think uh, yeah, just that brief discussion there has uncovered a few more things we need to talk about. So, yeah, I'd be glad to come and join you again. And
0: thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us once again. Now, if you've got any questions or particular topics you'd like us to discuss, please contact us on debunks at au.yokogawa.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to like and share on your social media channels. We look forward to welcoming you back for future discussions, but in the meantime, stay safe, and remember, Yokogawa debunks.